Good morning, everybody. It's always wonderful to be here at Sterling. Um, it's been about 15 years now that uh, my wife and, and our family have been supported by you guys, as well as prayed for by you. Some of you will know us and others won't, but it's always very special for us to come back, and you're one of our key um, partnering churches. So I wanted to start by saying a big thank you from my family. Um, my son is here with me today, Nathan. And it's just the two of us here today. He was playing against Salborn yesterday. And uh, bad news for us, but good news for you, he lost. Um, but uh, as you can see, my family and my wife really would want to pass on um, warm greetings to you and also thanks to you for your, for your wonderful partnership with us. And I thought before we dive into Scripture, I'll just share a little bit of what we're doing at the moment. Uh, we are based in Port Elizabeth. Um, when, when Sterling first partnered with us, we were in Uzbekistan doing church planting there among Muslim peoples for, for several years. And then when we got kicked out of Uzbekistan, we were in Kazakhstan for a while. Uh, and then we decided, let's go to a country that you really just can't pronounce the name of. And so we went to Azerbaijan. And we were in Azerbaijan for uh, about four years. And then uh, the kids have all got to a high school age, and, and those countries aren't the most ideal place for kids to be in high school. And so we've come back for a season to South Africa. And uh, based in Port Elizabeth, still very involved in global things, and I'll share that now, a little bit of that. The first thing we are still very involved with is church planting training. So my wife and I travel quite a bit. We do about four trips a year going to different countries, and we visit those countries, and we train both the missionaries and then also the local, uh, what we call MBBs, Muslim background believers, Muslims who have come to faith and are, are now believers. So this is just a photo of where we were recently in Bangladesh. It was an amazing time. We had 30 Bangladeshi Muslim people who now follow Jesus. And they were from all different villages, and they each have little groups, and so we were training them in how to see a church plant happen, slowly through a house group, um, underground, unseen to the government and to the Muslim priests who, who just can't stand that anyone would want to love Jesus when there's Islam around, right? Um, and then we also, uh, me personally, I'm involved in a ministry called Business for Transformation. I'm on the global leadership team for that. And what we do is we get um, Christian businessmen in the West to, we take them on trips into the mission field where we've prepared local business people who are Christians trying to make a difference. And we bring the Western Christian guys in, they invest in their businesses, they mentor them, and they start a partnership and a friendship. And so it's a way through business to see the kingdom come in the darkest uh, countries in the world. So we're in about 10 countries now and slowly adding. Um, we're actually up to about 80 businesses now and well over 15 million rand that we've seen invested um, into this ministry. So it's a very exciting thing that I'm a part of. And then on a very local level in Port Elizabeth, um, I've got a microcredit fund that I run, three staff that I oversee there. And we give small business loans to people, particularly in the townships, in, in squatter camps, people that are unemployed, living in shacks, but they've got a little business idea and all they need is a little, little bit of help. And we give it as a credit. They pay it back so that their dignity is kept intact. 
And uh, this gentleman here is actually a pastor. He's a pastor of a shack church, one of my good friends. And all of his members are mostly unemployed. So he has no income of his own. And he said to me, um, look, if I could just have a weed eater, I could cut you know, grass in the township and earn a living for myself. So we gave him a $3,000 loan. Within five months, he had paid it off. And now it's a, it's a whole nother 18 months later, and he's just he's able to cut grass, meet new people, and be able to support himself as, as a partner, as a pastor, and model to his community self-sufficiency, hard work, uh, and all those good things. So it's, it's a really um, rewarding thing that, that we're involved in um, there in Port Elizabeth. Um, I want... I want to um, continue on from what we Matt has been going through with you, um, Mark, 11, uh, Mark 12, where he's been taking you through probably the most, one of the most famous parts of Scripture. And if I, you must correct me if I'm wrong, because this is what he told me, but he's been talking uh, mainly to you about the first part where the teacher of the law says to Jesus, what's the most important commandment, most important law um, in, 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 in Scripture, and then Jesus' answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, according to Matt, he's been taking you through that first section. And so he, he's invited me to really focus on the second section now where Jesus then jumps across from loving God to saying, love your neighbor. And that's what where we're going to be spending some time this morning um, in. And I'm hoping to, to ruffle some of your feathers um, in, in, in thinking about who your neighbor is. But the first thing I want to say is that the, the, the key thing about God is that he's, he calls us to be both devotional and missional. And what I mean by that is we are called to be in prayer, to be in his word, to be focused on Him, to be in this intimate, loving relationship with Him. And we, we call to love Him with everything we have. But I want to suggest that actually loving God with our everything is not enough. Because God says it's not enough that you're just with me all the time. And, you, and you're in this amazing relationship with me. That's not enough. I also want you to love others. I don't want you to only love me. You must be loving your neighbor. And so it's something we often can be tempted to think that what will make God the happiest is if I'm praying 24-7. Or if I read my whole Bible this, this week. If I'm in five hours of devotion with God, that, then I'm going to be in the perfect place with God. Right? wrong that is very important but if you don't have a missional aspect if you're not loving your neighbor you're not where God wants you to be he's only pleased with us when we're combining all of those together in a holistic expression of our faith in him so that's where I want us to, to look at. I want us to focus on the second part, this missional part. Our lives must be missional, and we must be loving our neighbor. Now, missionaries 
are an extreme expression of loving your neighbor because we tend to go to far off places 15,000 kilometers away. There's a lot of neighbors in between here and Uzbekistan, right? But somehow I was crazy enough to fly on a plane to a place I'd never even heard of and go and love on those people. So yes, there's that kind of loving what we've got to do of neighbors far away. But then what does this mean for us here? Let's, let's try and answer the question, how can we love our neighbor here? Now, I'm going to suggest these three questions I want to deal with that is going to help us to be sure that we can love our neighbor. If we don't have answers to these three questions, we won't be capable of loving well. The first one is, who is my neighbor? The second one is, why should I love them? And the third one is, how should I love them, right? So I'm going to try and go through those three. And by the end, hopefully you'll be able to walk out of here with the confidence that you will go and love your neighbor. So let's first talk about the first one. And I want to share a little bit about my, my neighbor. Who was my neighbor when I went off to Uzbekistan? Now, one of the most important things you, you're going to find that I want to talk about today is that your neighbor is most often very different to you. Massively different. And when I hit the ground in Uzbekistan, my first few weeks there, I thought, what have you done? Because these people are weird. They are so strange. And one of the first things I found out it was this thing of multiple wives, that Muslims can have more than one wife. And it absolutely shocked me and turned my blood green when I'd meet these men, an older man of 60, he had got married when he was younger. When his wife got to 30, then she was too old, so then he took on another wife of 20. Then when he got to 50, he took a third wife of 20. And then when he hit 60, he took another wife of 20 years old. So I'd visit this guy and he'd have four wives. He has a 20-year-old with a 60-year-old man and she's got a little baby in her hands. And it turns you green. Now how are you supposed to love that person? Do you see what I'm saying? And then every single step that I treaded there, you'd find these these blue eye things that would, are, are to chase away the evil eye because this evil eye is everywhere. And if you step into a door with the wrong foot, left foot instead of your right foot, then that evil eye is going to mess your life up. Every single child, child had about 20 of these evil eye beads on their, on their hand to protect the child from any danger. Every house, every car, every doorway had this evil eye symbols. When they were in problems, they'd run to a grave site and go pray to a grave. If they couldn't get pregnant or they're having a problem with their wife, they'd go to this magical tree and they'll tie a piece of um, uh, material onto the tree. And this whole poor tree, there were no place for leaves. There were just all these pieces of material tied all over these trees. And so they were weird. They were weird. They were strange. And repulsive in many ways. And yet, God gave me an unexplainable love for them as my neighbor. And this is the first thing I want to I address. You know, when 
Jesus shared this. Now, this passage about love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, love your neighbors yourself. Mark 12, it's recorded. Matthew 22, it's recorded. And Luke 10, it's recorded. All of the synoptic gospels record that saying by Jesus because it was so important. But it's only in Luke that straight after Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, this one guy arrogantly says, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right? So this is the question we're asking. Who is my neighbor? Now, this is the big bad news for you guys. Jesus' answer was absolutely shocking. Because he said, your neighbor is the person you despise the most, that you would never want to talk to, speak to, or relate to, and that you would never dream of ever loving. That's your neighbor. For the Jews, the Samaritan represented everything they didn't like. So this morning, I'm going to be challenging you to love your Samaritan. Who are the people in your life that you most despise, that you most dislike, that you would never dream of going to have a meal with or loving? That's who Jesus is saying is your neighbor. Now, one of my, my key passions and what I'm a real specialist in, I did a master's in intercultural studies in the U.S., so my real passion and my area of knowledge is this whole area of intercultural studies. And one of the bottom line truths that I've realized is when we're born and we receive the sinful nature, one of those stamps within that sinful nature that's inherent within us is this thing called you like who looks like you and you hate who doesn't look like you. We are born with us, every human being. And when you're little, you don't see it. But as you're starting to get your identity, you're drawn towards those who speak like you, look like you, act like you, think like you. And you're drawn away from and begin to hate those who don't look like you, don't speak like you, and don't act like you. And it's one of those terrible realities of every one of us. And I call it cultural and ethnic prisons that we get ourselves into where we're unable to love beyond ourselves. Now, history is replete with a million examples of this. In Rwanda, you had Hutus and Tutsis. They looked the same. They even spoke the same language. They went to church together. But at a moment, they killed each other, slaughtered each other because they weren't the same tribal group. The same if you ask a Kosa about a Zulu. Massive problem. You ask English and Afrikaans, that's getting better. But, pooh, 100 years ago, horrific. Ethnic issues and divides. And then, of course, apartheid, right, is the very definition of what I'm saying. That we love to divide. We love to separate. We love to make different and not be with those who are like us. That is our tendency. 
And so it requires a massive miracle to actually love your neighbor. And one of the questions I'm going to ask God, one of the first things I'm going to ask him when we go to heaven is I'm going to say, Lord, when we become believers, when we receive Jesus, why was it not automatic that that sinful part was smashed in our hearts? Why was it not an automatic thing that when the love of Jesus enters our heart, this particular sin is not smashed and we set free to love everybody? But for some mysterious reason, that's not true. And the thing I weep about the most in South Africa is my own church heritage and that it was the church across denominations in South Africa that happily supported apartheid that happily went along with the whole thing. It was 100% against the very basis of our faith. But because of the sin imprint in our hearts, we can be blinded and go along. We can happily worship. We can be devotional with God and do all those things, but not love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so... I wanted to just mention a passage which has really stood out to me incredibly uh, over the years. And it's, it's in Acts chapter 10. Now, I want us to read it there because you're not going to believe what I say to you now. But Peter, right? There's an Italian centurion that loves God. And he's passionate of God, but he doesn't understand God. And God says to him, there's this guy that will tell you everything. Go and call for him. And it's Peter. Peter has been discipled by Jesus for three years. He sees his death. He sees his resurrection. He's at the ascension. He's then also at Pentecost. He receives the Holy Spirit. And Peter is one of the key leaders in the church, right? Does that sound like a good CV? Does that sound like a good pedigree? Was he mature and filled with the love of God? Did he know God well? And yet, he, we read this unbelievable event where this Italian centurion says, right, Peter, come along, come to my house. So then in chapter 10, Peter arrives at his house now. And this guy has gathered all his family and friends to listen to what Peter's got to say. Excited. They're excited. And Peter walks in and he says in verse 28, his first words to them in verse 28, he says, um, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or even to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I, shouldn't, I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And so I have come without raising any objections. May I ask why you have sent for me? If we take this in, it's unbelievable that Peter would still think that. Now let me remind you, this is the same Peter who Jesus says to, his last words to him before he ascends is, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Yes? Did he say that to Peter? Yeah, is Peter probably a year or two later 
having led the church, been at Pentecost, all these wonderful things, incredibly devotional to God. And this neighbor invites him over and he says, look, I'm only here because I saw a dream last night where God said, he, raised, he lets this, this um, tablecloth down with food and says, don't call unclean what I'm giving you. So sorry, Mr. Italian man, but I'm only here because God said I must be. Now, what is it that you wanted? This great leader of the church. This great representation of the, of the good news of Jesus. That's all he could say. And so, fortunately, the story ends well. We Peter then, a few verses later, says an amazing thing. In verse 34, he says, Peter then began to speak and says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter has this lights-on moment. It's almost like I call it a, th- a second, second birth. When we're born again in Christ, we almost have to have another birth in Christ to be free from this, what I call, massive sin imprint of, of impartiality and ethnic, national, linguistic division that we have in our heart. And that is what holds us back from loving our neighbor well. So, let's jump on to the second question. Why should I love my neighbor? We've figured out who our neighbor is, and unfortunately that happens to be all the people that you would never have dreamt of wanting to love. The Somali shopkeeper, the Pakistani guy who sells cell phones, or maybe the lady in the park that's a prostitute, or maybe the drunk guy that you see on your street every day. I don't know who it is in your world, but the Lord's going to start talking to you today about who he wants you to love. Why should I love them? The question begs, why? Well, we've seen, Peter said, God shows no no favoritism. Why does God show no favoritism? Well, we get to that, but the first Answer I want to say as to why you should love them. Because God says so. Now that's the same reason that I did most of the things I did as a child. Because my mother said so. Why must I make you my bed, mom? Why must I wash the dishes, mom? Why must I do my homework now? I can do it later, mom. Because I said so. Right? And I usually then did it because it ca- her voice carried with it an authority, and I knew there'd be a lot of blessings if I did what she said, and there'd be bad results if I didn't do what she said. I couldn't make any sense why I should make my bed, but I did it anyway, because she said so. So, in the first place, why must you love your neighbor, that unlovable person that I'm suggesting to you? Because God says so. That's not always the best way to motivate people, but that's the first one I'm going to put on the table. This is non-negotiable. God says so, we must do it. But I now want to give you a second and hopefully more encouraging reason to do it. 
And that is the central biblical truth which God gives us at the very beginning of Scripture, where He sets the foundation for everything else that He says to us in the whole of Scripture is based on this first foundation about human beings. What is the definition of a human being? What's the most important definition? We made in His image. And if we are all made in His image, it also then says we're of infinite value and worth and that every person is loved by God and His favor rests on them. Often, I have this sense from God. It's one of the things I've enjoyed the most about my fellowship with God. He has made me terrified to ever show disrespect or a lack of honor to any human being on this earth. I am terrified because when I do, I'm taking the very person who God values so much and I'm spitting on them. And that makes him weep. That makes God weep. And that's what I'm saying to you today. Is anyone that God is giving you, today is a new day. He wants you to view them in a totally different light. Can you from today start seeing everybody that they made in his image? They're of infinite value and worth. Irrespective of what they're doing or who they are, they are still made. You can't lose being made in his image. There's nothing you can do that will wipe away the truth that you were made in his image. There's nothing. And that is the key foundation of why we should love our neighbor. All right. Now I want to go on to the last section, which is how should I love my neighbor? And I just loved the answer Jesus gives you. It's, it's, I love it, but I also hate it. Because he gives the most practical an all-encompassing answer to this. And he says, love them as you love yourself. But how should I love my neighbor? As you love yourself. Every plan and thought you have regarding your neighbor should be, how do I love myself? Am I loving them as I love myself? Did you make yourself coffee and put food in your mouth today? Yes, you did. That's how you should love your neighbor too. Did you plan a holiday because it's nice to have a rest and have fun? Well, help your neighbor to do that. Everything you do for yourself, think about doing for your neighbor too. Because that is the test of our love and how we should love others. I also want to suggest to you, because this is such a passion of mine, that one of the other key things you can do especially those that I'm suggesting to you you would never have dreamt of going to, and you're thinking, well, how am I even going to start with this Somali lady? Or how am I even going to start with this person from the other side of the tracks who I otherwise would never start talking to? I'm suggesting this is a great starting point. Hi there, how are you doing? I just want to share with you how amazing it is 
how amazing my life is because I feel so special because God made me in his image. And I want to share with you, he made you in his image too. Do you know this for a truth? Do you know about that? So sharing God and his truth is another way how to love our neighbors. But of course, the third one I wanted to say is love practically. It's the kind of love we most prefer. You see, when I'm with my wife and I say to her, honey, your hair's looking so lovely, and honey, I love you so much, and sure, it's nice to be with you. She looks at me and says, have you washed the dishes? Have you made me coffee yet? You see, loving your neighbor, don't have these dreams of just saying nice words to them and how can I, maybe I'll just pray for them. Those are all good things. But the most important way is the practical, loving physically and practically. That's the most, the biggest thing that separates Christianity from all the other religions is that God did not say he loves us. He came and loved us physically on this earth. He came and loved us. He did actions of love. And that's what I'm going to say. Please find ways to love your neighbor well. And then the last point I wanted to mention is in Hebrews, there's a beautiful verse in Hebrews 10.24 where it says, don't Forget to meet together regularly and spur one another on to good deeds. Loving the Samaritan is a very difficult thing I'm asking you to do. It's a very difficult thing. And to do it alone is going to be a lot harder. What I'm saying is if you can find a partner, if you can find a friend, if you can get together and encourage and spur one another on to go and love the unloved, to go and love those that you think it's impossible to love. Do it together. Spur one another on. If there's that Somali lady or that Pakistani guy in in a shop and you're thinking, how am I going to go and talk to him? Go with somebody. Go together with somebody. And plan that together. I want to end off with a challenge. I want to ask, as I've been talking, I want to ask you, God has put a Samaritan in your life somewhere and somehow. And I want to ask you now, just we're going to have a time of silence. I want you to ask the Lord who is at least one person that this next week you are going to do an action of love to that person. It's going to be an extreme action and it's going to be an extreme step of faith for you. Because it's somebody that doesn't speak your language, they don't look like you, and they're a Samaritan to you. But you're going to do that. Can we take some time for you to ask the Lord, who is it that is calling you to obey in this way? To obey him and believe that he has the best in your heart. He has the best for you and he's saying, don't only love me, but please Love those who I've created and are in my image and who have my favor on them. And it's through you that my favor will rest on them as you obey and love those who are unloved. Let's pray together.
Father, we just want to spend a bit of time right now asking you, can you please speak to each heart here this morning? Maybe there's some people that are at school and they've got a, a person at school that they could, they could target and love, someone that they would never have thought of loving. Maybe there's some people who are at work or in, uh, in their home, in their neighborhoods. Maybe you're asking some of them to take a step of faith and reach out in, in, in a ministry that already exists to become involved so that they can be loving. Father, I just pray that you would show each one of us who it is that you're calling us to love and that we might love well. Thank you, Jesus.